Um, let me pray and we'll begin, okay? Gracious and holy God, thank you for the time that we get to spend together. Again, Lord, looking at the beginning, the beginning of history of Israel, the beginning, Lord, of um, the way in which people uh, both learned about you, perceived you, but more than anything else, God, how we know that you are the God of all creation, that you are the God who sustains us, who is with us, who cares for us, who never, ever gives up on us. Uh, help us to remember that in all that we do, that we might live and reflect a life that um, includes our care and love for others in the same way that you care and love for us. Bless our reading of your word today and our study of it. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, today's narrative is about the nations, the genealogy in um, the end of chapter 9 into verse 10. We're going to skip uh, the Tower of Babel till next week. We'll get to it. But chronologically, it fits better to do all the nations. Um, there's three different sections here. There's a first one, which is a narrative. And then it goes into the genealogy of all the nations. So you've got Noah's sons, is the genealogy of all of them. And then it becomes more specific about kind of Israel's history, how they came about. Again, this is prehistory. So um, you have to be, uh, there are lessons to learn here, but it's more about explaining to Israel how they came about. And if we keep that in mind, and here is a God who takes care of us, who's with us, who wants that, um, that relationship desperately with us. So um, all of this holds together. There's a lot of continuity and what we're looking at today until we get to chapter 11, verse 30. And it makes this statement, and Sarai, or Sarah, as we will come to know her, was barren. And that just unravels everything else that we've done before this, if you're reading this at the time. So we want to keep that in mind, because that again lets us know who God is and what God's plan is. But it's a Non sequitur. It's like, wait, that no, we're we're like on this track. We've got all these people. We're going someplace. So just know, eleven thirty kind of <laughs> stops us in our tracks. Okay. So um, uh, next week we are going to look at the Tower of Babel, and we're going to look at my absolute favorite Old Testament scripture, the call of Abraham um, from God or Abram from God, and um, it is. Uh, rich with God's work in our lives and, and rich. And so I look forward to doing that. And then I'm, I'm done. That's my last time I will be teaching you as an associate pastor here at Village Church. And, and one reason why I'm not running off is because I get to be here, Pat. So um, th though all day long I'm going to be thinking about that game. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Let's begin. Verse 20 through 20. Um, Nine is about Noah and his sons, and it names his sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, we know, is the oldest. Japheth and Ham, as you read through, they kind of interchange who's second, who's third. Now, if you grew up in a family where you really care about ordering, that's going to vex you because, you know, you're all supposed to be in a certain order in a certain way, but just know that doesn't happen in this, and that's not important. I'm going to pause and, and see uh, how many of you have seen the Facebook where it has the three sons and they're going up the stairs. It's all the same guy, same character. You have the oldest son. 
marching up, Mr. Responsible gets to the top of the stairs. Me today, not going to the game. I just can't get over that. Okay. <laughs> just, oh. Okay. So I'm um, going up the stairs, Mr. Responsible. The next one is the middle child. He is like bouncing up the stairs, you know, going back, forth. You know, he's just exuberant. He has no responsibilities. Big brother has it. And then you have the youngest child. Now I'm the youngest of four, so I can't be the young, I can't be the third child because I'm the fourth. The youngest child can't even make it up. He's just like, oh, I can't do the stairs. It's, oh, oh, help me. Oh, please, mom, where are you? You know, it's just, so you have this attitude. Now, if you're the youngest child, you probably don't like that. But if you're the middle child, you know, you're kind of the peacemaker. They have a tendency to be the peacemaker of the family. And of course, the oldest child is, we have more presidents that are the oldest children in their family than we have any other um, ordering. And uh, so, Oldest children tend to be responsible. The other two get interchanged in this, but I really do, when I look at that, I think, oh, that's so true. I was really, I got away with a lot more than my brothers and sisters. My dad, we grew up in a household where you would actually get spankings. You know, today you, you can't do this, but we'd have spankings. And we would get lined up, and of course I would start crying immediately. And by the time my dad got to me, I seldom got spanked because he was laughing too hard underneath his breath. So my poor elder brother, though, uh, they made up for it with him. There you go. All right, so Noah's a man of the soil. Um, and he's first to plant, that's the difference. Thank you very much. He's first to plant the vineyard. And... Um, the story of Noah and what happens to him, so... He's he's fulfilling what God called us to do in in um, the garden. You're going to till the garden. You're going to work the land. This is what you're supposed to do. So in a real sense, he is fulfilling that. And he's also um, is supposed to go out, and he's had these three sons. So he's also been fruitful, and he's multiplied. Those are very simple things. So Noah's done what he's supposed to do. He just doesn't have a lot of experience with, with grapes or wine or... Whatever, because he ends up being drunk. And people uh, focus on that. If that were the focus, he would be the one who would be receiving the punishment or the curse. That's not the point. It just is the setup for the story about Canaan. Okay, does that make sense to you? Now, there are some things that I want to share with you. Um, mostly about um, modesty and uh most of us know what that is. We just don't see it around us. I'm, I'm always intrigued by prom dresses. <laughs> I'm like, do they have a dad or a mom that's looking at this stuff? But it's a different generation. I get that. But, um, but modesty was very, very important. And, and avoidance of shame, as I've told you before, is also very important. So what Ham does to his father, when he walks in, he sees after Noah has worked in the soil, so he's a, he's a soil person, and he's the first to do it. He plants his vineyard. He tastes it. He, he tastes too much. He drinks too much. He gets drunk. He falls into his tent, and he's exposed. Now, in, um, in this culture, that's something that you would want to avoid, um, either seeing or making a big deal about it. Ham walks in, he sees it, and he thinks, oh, do I have the goods on Dad? And kind of comes out and he shares with his brothers, look what I've seen. And uh, in Leviticus, and it's kind of hard, but it talks about um, it, don't uncover, um, you know, don't un uncover your father or your mother or your sister or your brother. And that is a sexual reference there. Um, don't... Uh, don't have sexual relationships 
with those that are your close kin kind of doing it. Uh, if we ever study the book of Ruth, which I won't get to do with you, think about that when you read through Ruth. So the un uncovering is, um, is something that you don't do and also something that you certainly don't talk about or make a big deal. But Ham walks in, he sees his dad is uncovered, exposed. He goes out to his brothers and his brothers take a cloak and they walk in backwards and they cover their father because that's the thing to do. Now, when Noah wakes up from his wine and knew what his youngest had done to him. Now, he's asleep when it happens. So how does he know what his youngest, who's identified here as the youngest later, that's not true, but how does he know that Ham has seen him and talked to his brothers? Because he probably told their dad, yeah. Nah, 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 I'm telling dad. Okay, so he tells his dad. And his dad does this. So Noah does this. And it is shameful. Noah does it. He goes, cursed is, uh, cursed be Canaan. Canaan is one. I don't even know who he is yet. He's one, not all of, no, not all of Ham's lineage. Does that make sense? Only one. So don't say all of Ham is cursed. Many of you may have grown up with that. I have lots of Southerners. Let me tell you, they have a heyday. The word Ham means hot or warm or protective wall. Um, the name Shem is name, and that's going to be important because the name, um, Shem's name and his ancestries will go all the way through to Abraham. Japheth means lovely and one who, who spreads out a lot. So we're going to see what Japheth does. So their names are kind of important. But here, the focus becomes Canaan. Now, why Canaan? He says this about him. Lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers. He also said, bless by the Lord, my God be Shem, and let Canaan be a slave. Make, um, may God make space for Japheth. Remember, he goes out and has lots of space. And let him live in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. So there you have the story. Then Noah lived for another 300 years, and all the days of Noah's were 950 years, and he died. Okay, so a couple more things on this. Canaan becomes the rivalry of Israel throughout the history of Israel when we begin to talk about uh, it, real history in chapter 12 continuing. So trying to figure out who Canaan is and why He's this person that's against Israel. Here's your story behind it. Because God cursed him, he threw him out. But it's a people's. Um, it's not a racial, it's a political issue. Okay, and as we look at all the genealogies, it's not ethnicity, it's not even linguistically oriented. It is about the political setup of all the peoples of the world. Okay, so keeping that in mind. Also, it's for Canaan, it's for his generation. So... None of the other of Ham's kids are going to be affected by that. And then you're going to um, see that um, Canaan represents, and here's the important thing, the dishonoring of the creator and the creatures which he's made. There's a dishonoring of that. And um, the relationships and the dehumanization, the action of what he did, is the sin in the story, not getting drunk. You can get one and done on that one. And there are scriptures that say, don't be drunk, especially in the New Testament. Don't be drunk 
with wine, rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, but that's not the context here. The context here is the dehumanization, the disrespect, the shame that Ham tried to put upon his father. And the other two sons said, no, we're not doing this. So Canaan gets cursed. Canaan becomes this very powerful nation. As you will study, you know this. They are the rivals of Israel. And who they are and how they act, we're going to look at a little bit today, and it will help us understand relationally why we're called to be God's creation and creatures and obedient to that. And Canaan is the one who has disregarded that. And so that's how they're trying to explain it. Does that make sense to you? Okay, great. Just nod your head. I'll be happy. Okay, so now we're going to go to um, chapter 10. And 10 through 32 are all about the nations. Now, what did God tell the people to do? In the beginning when he created us, what did he say? Multiply. multiply, be fruitful and multiply. Now, in the 70s, when we had this huge population boom, and I was in high school and college, we had professors saying, well, we're, you know, we're populated enough. We don't need to do that anymore. And I thought, well, duh. You know, but it was you know, kind of the thing. So populate. And this is how they're doing it. So this is the story of the obedience of how they populated it. And so um, the things that are important, uh, Japheth at, is the least developed and is lacking the most information. But what we do know is that he kind of spreads out. He's also a tent. So if you looked up before in verse um, number 27, Japheth and let him live in the tents of Shem. So he's kind of an ally of Shem, but not Totally. He's not Shem, um, but he's kind of an ally. And there's only a few verses, only two through five, of all his descendants. Um, and they're coast, coastland people. And so um, they had their own language and their families knew each other by name. But again, that's the focus is on where they're going to settle and how that will play out in Israel's history. All right. And then six through 20 is um, you have the descendants of Ham, and you have Cush and Egypt and Put and Canaan. Now, a lot of these become cities, and that's not uncommon. Alexandria, um, St. Paul. <laughs> you know, you've got, you've got names of, of people, both um, believers and non-believers, that we name cities after all the time or countries or whatever. So this is not an unusual thing. But... Canaan becomes central to the genealogy of Ham. He's the one we're really focusing on here. And um, it speaks of the political placing, all these people of both the friends and the enemies of Israel. So when they hit real history, they've got, oh yeah, remember, these are the, this is the Kurt, these are the people that don't get God, don't, aren't obedient, these are, are kind of our enemies there. And so um, in the midst of this, if you look with me, if you um, would, it's Cush becomes uh, the father of Nimrod. Uh, not um, in, uh, it talks about him in verse 8, and he, Nimrod, he was the first on earth to become a mighty warrior, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Um, therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Um, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Enoch, and it goes on. So a couple things about um, who Nimrod was and how later 
it affected. They think he probably is related to the Assyrian people, even though Assyria comes out of Shem. His identities with that, those again were not necessarily friendly folks for Israel. But a mighty warrior and a mighty hunter are very important. Hunters in the region in which they've settled, they've talked about here, they were really good at hunting. You know how you have people like they go, well, they're just really good at that. You know, this is a like a family or, or somebody like you're you're raised to be hunters or you're raised to be food gatherers. And um, you know, the sin of Cain and Abel was a sin of the heart, not of what they did for a living. It's what they did, how they used what they had. So don't be sad about those who, you know, um, hunted, not Cain and Abel. Jacob and Esau, uh, one was a gardener and one was a hunter. And, um, and so it wasn't what they did, it's what they did with what they had. That was the issue here. So these are good hunters. These are uh, what the people of Nimrod. The other thing is mighty warrior. The language of that is one in leadership who loves to take territories and build empires, which is why they go on to say how he built some of these things that he built. Now, when you are into the manifest destiny of building empires, you don't care a whole lot about anybody else. You care about possession. You care about power. You care about territory. So do you see how this person, and just naming them, which doesn't sound bad at all. I'd like to be a warrior and I'd like to be mighty um, and a good hunter. Uh, my family, that was required. <laughs> so these seem like a good thing, but the way in which they are put here and in the context, you're seeing that Nimrod is someone who's going to become a person uh, whose ancestry's genealogy is going to be in the political realm of taking over places, building empires. And they're going to uh, do it in a way that does not bring unity to other people. In fact, the name Nimrod can mean rebel. And so, once again, they use, um, they use names to help explain who people are or what they're doing. So here we have Nimrod. They just kind of put that in there. Later in history, he becomes, or the people um, from Nimrod and from Cush become important. Syria, especially Assyrians, especially towards Israel. And so you have that group that's with them. And in Isaiah, you can look at it later, 9-6, you see where the uh, disunity, unity, where God calls us together in unity to be about all the people. I didn't have time on Sunday, but Christians are actually known for doing good things, for actually caring about people. And there was a, an, an emperor who wanted to take Rome. I can't even remember his name, but it wasn't a polite name. Uh, wanted to take back uh, the Roman Empire and make it kind of heathen again, like it had become Christian. And he goes, you know, the problem with trying to make it the way it used to be, where we have a lot more freedom, we're bringing in all these gods, we have a lot more latitude in the way in which we live, are the Christians are in the way because they keep taking care of the poor. Because he said, just neglect them, let them die, let them starve. And he goes, these Christians are keeping me from doing what I want to do because they actually care for the poor, they care for the widow, they do what they're supposed to do. Nimrod was not in that class. <laughs> And Israel, by the way, is how we learn to do that. Uh, Israel cared for the stranger, remember? It was in Deuteronomy that God's talking to them on this past Sunday. So Nimrod is, is an outlier, okay? But he's important 
as a history goes on. And then we look at Shem's genealogy. And he's the one that goes from 21 to 31. And it points directly at Abram, which we're just going to call Abraham because it's his formal final name. Abraham is the beginning of the history of Israel. So everything before this is helping Israel understand the God who created them, has a plan for them. It's in the works. All the world is concerned with this, but we are moving towards the people of Israel, and we're helping you try and understand how it's all put together. So that's, someone said yesterday, Moses wrote this. Moses wrote this with a lot of help, especially since this happened before he was born. So know that that's the way the first five books were written. And so, especially in Genesis, it's important to know the influence of others in there. So his genealogy puts him directly with Abraham, and it deals again with the genealogy of the nations. That's what we're looking at right here. So we're not going specifically yet there. We're looking at how the world, it just spread out in the world. So I think it's just really cool that the connection here with go and multiply, be fruitful, and cover the earth. You remember, afterwards, you're going to cover the whole earth. Hey, that's what we're doing. We're doing our job here. It's a hard job, but doggone it, let's have babies and fill the world. So he's doing that. So the emphasis is on the connection of all three peoples in three genealogies. And this is human, the act of human free will is here. They're, um, they're actually producing, they're going out, they're being productive, they're spreading. And um, Israel is absent in the map of the nation because it's not yet identified. Now, many of you who know me know that I call myself a late bloomer. And um, that's an understatement, but, yeah. um, but I'm a late bloomer, so I kind of like it that Israel comes into the picture late. They're kind of late bloomers, you know, they're not there yet. So they're not part of this beginning genealogy that's all set in place before the name Israel and Abraham is even there. And that's an important thing because it puts Shem in the nation of what God's plan was. The nations and their existence remain as God's life-giving power and call to him. And I want us to turn, just for a sec, I know I'm running through this, folks, but Acts chapter 17, if you take your Bibles and, and just come with me over to Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 28. It's in the back. It's after the Gospels. It's what the, happened after the Gospels. It's the Acts, the history. 17, verses 26 and 28. If a microphone was close, I'd have one of you read it. I'll read it. Okay. Um, From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth. And he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of our own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Isn't that cool? Isn't that great? Like, yeah, this is my plan. I'm really doing this. And I'm just reminded, I'll probably say it again, Remember at the end, like we were all there, at the end when Noah, um, God made his covenant with Noah, we talked about this last week, and he said, I'm going to make this covenant, the rainbow is going to be the sign that I give to you, um, 
And so someone had a sign over the Padres win the other night. We need a rainbow again today, I think. But anyway, so you have the sign of the covenant. But God's comment was, I know you're going to, you're going to sin again. I know it's in your very nature to be disobedient. I know that I will be disappointed. But nevertheless, I will not destroy you. I'm going to adjust to continue to love you and be in relationship with you, even though you have ignored me and even though you will continue to go about your own way. I think that's a phenomenally loving. We love someone because we know them fully and we still love them. Um, so God, in, in doing that, the nations in their existence remain as God's plan. And Acts talks about that. It bridges it. We're always bridging these things together. Okay, now we're going to skip Babel, go to the Tower of Babel, and we're going to go to the last section. Any questions so far? Y'all good? Keeping them, make notes? Okay. 10 through 32 is the genealogy leading up to Israel. And the focus in the section is on the lineage from Shin, Shem to Abraham. There are 10 generations, 70 names, I think, are in there, 72. The Sanhedrin had 70 in it. When Jesus sends out his disciples in Luke 10, he sends 70 out to bring the gospel. So there's this, this connection. And, get, and somebody tell me, is this a Yahweh statement or is this a priestly statement? Is the influence in the scripture with the numbers the priest talking or the Yahweh's talking? Remember we talked about how they get those influence? What do you all think? Priest. It's a numbers game, folks. They love the numbers. They love having things to make sense and to be ordered. And, and later when we see the whole priestly establishment in Israel, let me tell you, they are numbers, numbers, numbers. And they're just trying to make sense of it. The Yahweh's are like... God knew that the world was still sinful, and yet he continues to love it. That's a, pre, that's a God who walks in the garden. That's the Yahweh. That's a relation that is different. So we have the ten generations parallel to Adam to Noah. Isn't that fun? There you go. You have that connection. So you've got the ten generations from Adam to Noah, but it is about a particular people. Um, and it's the one that's going to begin to bring us to Israel. Verses 10 through 32 are also in Luke 3, 34 through 38 in the reverse order. They go from Jesus and they go all the way back to Adam. Now, in Matthew, you only have the uh, lineage um, from um, Abraham. You know, you kind of go from Abraham to Jesus. Why? Because it's in Matthew, he's speaking to the Jews. And he wants the Jews to know, this is your Messiah, this is your person. Luke said, it's the Jewish Messiah, but it's for the whole world. So the whole world, look, it, Jesus' lineage goes all the way back. He's the new Adam. And so, I, again, it's interesting, you see these names repeated with Jesus, but it goes all the way back to Adam. And so you can look that up a little bit later. Uh, there is a contrast between chapter 2 10 and the genealogy in chapter 11. It's the narrowing from all the nations, from all the nations to an exclusive listing of the people who will be called Israel. And so 
you've, you're moving from the very beginning, uh, this broad, 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 to just narrowing down so that Israel knows we're, we're part of God's creation, we're part of who God calls us to be, but we're going to become God's um, instrument and special people, those whom he has called to be his own, as we're moving towards that. Um, it attaches to creation Redemption and hope. So we see in this, we see in in Canaan being sent out, he's going to become an antagonist. We see Nimrod, we see these generations, and even in the generation of Sim, Shem, not all perfect as we study these people and get to know who they are, especially um, uh, further stories about... Um, those whom God had called. When you look at Abraham, when you look at Moses, when you look at, at, at who God called, we're in the midst of God saying, I'm spreading you out. I'm doing that. That is a good thing. Even in the midst of knowing that you're a hardneck reality, that humanity is, is not for me. But in this, you see the redemption and the hope. So it's not just going to be about warring one another or territorial or political things. It's going to be about a God who is, in fact, redeeming and a God who brings hope. And um, hope keeps us going. Uh, hope, hope is that dance, folks, that we do in faith. Okay. Okay. Um, Creation does not stand on its own. It is connected to Israel and becomes a fulfillment, which keeps us in relationship with, with the God of creation. And again, Romans 8, 9, I'll flip over there and just uh, share that with you. These are fun um, and important connections. I'm going to look later at 1 John. 8, 8 19. get COVID and you know, not get it personally, but COVID happens and you no longer want to lick your lips. You're not <laughs> so trying to turn pages for me. It's not an easy thing. All right, here we go. I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed for us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. It was subjected to fertility, not of its own, but the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. goes on to talk about God's plan. So here we have, even in the midst of decay, there is hope. Even in the midst, all the reproduction, all the genealogies that are coming out of that. So Israel's lineage, lineage is God at work, not humankind. So all of a sudden, humans have the free will. They get to reproduce and everything else. But then all of a sudden, you see in the lineage of Shem that there is a direction that God is, is directing to it. And it's God's doing, and it's by God's grace. Don't take credit for what God is doing. <laughs> Let God do that work in you. And, um, and so God is making this happen, and it's God's will as an act of grace, despite the brokenness of humanity. Israel, on its own at this point and further on, is unexceptional. There, there's nothing special in this text about Israel. 
God is the one who makes Israel special. God is the one who, who makes us who we are in terms of all that is good and the call of God. So they're kind of, they're like nobodies. You know, it's, it's like last picked on the team. <laughs> I loved Jack's comment the other day. I got the, um, what is it? What, not, the, not the third place, but the participant award. You got the participant award. You know, he's a little younger than I am. We didn't have participants award. You were either first, second, third, or you were gone. <laughs> but Israel is like, you're just nobody. You're an unexceptional nation at this point. But that's, that's the good news of what God does and what he does for us. Um, Israel's future is barren, and then here is the last part, and I know I'm way ahead of the game, but um, that's okay. We'll have time for discussion, hopefully. But um, if you look on at, back to where we are in chapter 11, and you're going to see in, um, in that verse 31, or verse 30, excuse me, Chapter 11, verse 31, verse 30, and it says this. It goes through all of them. Abraham and Nahor, uh, let me back up a little, because you're going also, when you, um, when you do the genealogy, they have Shems, and then they focus in on um, Terah, who was the father of Abraham. And it talks about, you know, the kind of the setup is that Terah took his son Abraham and his grandson Lot and Haran and his daughters-in-law Sarah and his son wife and they went out together from Ur of Chaldean to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And um, right before that, verse 30, it's or 29, let's start there. Abraham and Nera took wives, their names were Ab took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarah and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Ishkar. Now, Sarai, as she was called here, was barren. She had no child. Now, we live, thankfully, in a society, we have all kinds of options for what we want to do. Um, back then, a, a woman's uh, only option, best option, the reason why she was created was to reproduce. And uh, it kept your lineage. It kept your genealogy. It's like um, in, important. And here's a woman who's barren. You have this great continuity. See how everything's flowing? The nations are going out. They're being built. We have Shem. He's moving towards Israel, except the one who God is going to call to make that happen has a wife that is barren. There's the discontinuity. And there's the part where we go, what is it, Lord, that you have in store for me that maybe I haven't seen yet? Any of you hit any disappointment? I have a sister who is, uh, she did all the babysitting. I think I all told you all this. I played with the boys on the hill, all the games, you know, you do. <laughs> used to be able to call it other things, and you can call it today, but... Um, you know, we would we would make forts and we would, you know, do all these fun things. And Teresa would be down babysitting. Now, she was a couple of years older. But when I got to be her age, I was still on the hill playing with the boys. 
why is babysitting? That's no fun. And Teresa has no children. She tried for years. She went through lots of money. That's a heartache. You know, you know people that desperately want to have children and they can't. It's just a heartache. So we leave with that discontinuity. And I tell you that Tara lived to be, I think it's 250 years? 205 years. Have you noticed something in the genealogies that happened with that statement? How long did Moses live? 950. Tara, 205. Maybe, or Noah, not Moses, Noah, 950. So we're beginning to see humanity lives a shorter time. And uh, later scripture talks about that. That's a, uh, uh, not a hyperbole, but it just, it, it's not to be taken literally like, okay, you only have 120, everybody's living there, you only have, it talks about some live 70, seven scores, that's a lot, maybe a little more. That's not a literal, it just means that well, our days are numbered. 139, God numbers our days. But here we end with this sense of, of loss, at least as I look at it, this sense of sadness. You've got all this great things going on. You've got God in the midst of that. You've got the populating of the world. You've got these three sons. You've got understanding of where the enemies are going to come from, all at the end of chapter 11. Okay? I'm, I'm, I ran through that, I guess. Took me forever yesterday. Okay, do we have questions? Thoughts, ideas? Raise your hand. Vanna White's coming around. There she is, Penny, right behind you. I'm kind of wondering if, um, like, let God do this. This is an act of grace. I mean, did the, the people, like, nowadays, because we have Jesus and we know to let God and um, let go and do it, did they have any doctrine that said, you know, God's got this, don't, do you know what I mean, Jan? Uh, well, we had the doctrine of uh, the Garden of Eden that uh, don't, you know, the call of the Garden of Eden was to be in relationship with God and uh, to be obedient to God. And and just here's your, you know, and the grapes were not the forbidden fruit, guys, so that's not, don't, don't go there. Um, so they had some kind of clarity, but did they have what you're going to see in the uh, Ten Commandments. Though it's interesting, look back at Ham. What is the fifth commandment? Honor your mother and father. <laughs> you guys need to go back to Sunday school. What can I say? <laughs> Do not cut your teeth on it. The first four are about God. The other six are about our relationship with our relationship with God, our relationship with other people. So the fifth is honor your mother and father um, so that your days may be long. And, um, and, and Ham didn't do that. He was not honorable. So there you have, there's a law, but, but they seem to, it, it, as it's recorded here, now Israel who's looking back at this would get this because they would have the Ten Commandments, they would have all that. But Israel looking at this would understand that and understand, well, oh, he's being disobedient. He's not honoring his parents. And um, so... That's a good question. But no, they didn't have written laws. They didn't have it. It was, if you're in relationship, if you're the creature in relationship with the creator, that will keep you on the right path. You'd have 
access to everything. Don't eat of that forbidden fruit. Okay. Other questions? There was another one over here. Catherine's helping you. There you go. Um, am I close enough? Can you hear me? Okay, we, we skipped over this, and I think normally when we talk about peg leg, we skip that whole thing. And I think it's important that we remember that that was when the earth was divided. Say that again. Okay. Peg leg. What, what, uh, what verse are you in there? Oh, uh, chapter 10. Let's go down to 25. Okay. Oh, one was Pegling, for the day the earth was. Okay. And I just see this as an important historical thing because we do know the earth does become divided. The land becomes separated. And it says at this time, that's when the earth was divided. When the land yeah. was separated. I think, okay, I think this is important mainly because the people are still traveling. And when we know, if, if we look at history, that's when the different continents were established and things like that at an early you have to time. to keep it. I, oh, yeah. Oh. So what you're saying is that here's, and the reason, and I'm going to say yes and no. Okay. This is prehistory. So you're not going to look at this and go, oh, here's a historical fact that this happened here. It, it may help them have an idea of how things, you know, how did they, okay, well, now we know that there's water in between there. How did they get there? That may help them. But in terms of the big story, we're talking political. We're talking how they were established and how they would affect Israel. It's not a, uh, so it's, in, in the larger picture, it's not a um, geographical mapping. It is a relationship, uh, caring, uh, enemy, friend, establishment. And again, because it's pre-history, it makes it difficult to say this is when. It may be helpful to understand in their context, oh yeah, remember that the lands were, were this, but not, not to the larger picture of the story. But I, when you said peg like, I thought, where are we going with this? But okay, <laughs> thank you, thank you. You don't have other questions, guys. Any other ones? All right. Well, you get more food then before you meet in your classes. And uh, let me uh, pray us out next week. We'll look at the uh, Tower of Babel, and then we'll look at Abraham. And I'll speak more slowly, maybe, and <laughs> we'll dwell a little longer. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for these women, women of God. Uh, thank you for who they are in you. They are gentle ladies, Lord. Bless them. Bless them as they go into their small groups, as they study more deeply your word, and as they um, just seek to know you better. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.